Good morning, everyone. Ah, there we go. Uh, kids, you can come up here with youth pastor Nate and uh, children's, pastor. children's pastor Nate, and he's going to take you out. And uh, for the rest of you, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Song of Songs this morning. Who's happy they came to church today? Yeah. Song of Songs. Who's, uh, who brought a friend and now you're wishing you wouldn't have done that? So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Song of Songs. Most people are like, man, I wish this was the sermon on money today. This is going to be weird. No. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, whatever reason you are here this morning, we are happy that you are here with us to worship our Lord, to praise him, and to take in his word. So whether you're a member of the church, uh, if you're just maybe checking us out, or even if you're in here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, we want to welcome you. And I've got good news for all of us this morning. The Song of Songs is a wonderful, profound, deep book. Uh, and I trust that God is going to encourage all of us as we study it this morning. So, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Would you please stand with me as we read God's word? Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Friends, as we hear every week, it's true. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? This is the word of God. The word of the Lord. Yeah. Okay. You can, you can take a seat. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, it's interesting uh, that we're looking at the Song of Songs this morning. Uh, as we've been in this series whole, as we're going through one book each week of the Old Testament. Uh, and we are looking at what the book is doing, some of the main themes in the book, how it fits into the bigger story of the Bible. And so this morning, we are both finishing up the wisdom literature and looking at the Song of Songs. And I think Kenny Horton told me this may be the highest attended Sunday in our history, because Song of Songs, is that true, Kenny? Yeah? Yeah. Everyone comes to church on Song of Solomon. Anyway. Okay, I'd also like to welcome my entire family who decided to come this morning while I get to preach on this book. So, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. There was a married couple. They came upon a wishing well. Yeah. The wife leaned over, made a wish, tossed in her penny. The husband decided he would make a wish too. So he leaned over and leaned over, and leaned over, and fell in the well. Total dad move right there. The wife just stood there looking down into the well, looking at her husband, and she finally said to herself, huh, it really works. So, <laughs> now, that is a somewhat more cynical view of marriage than we see in the Song of Solomon. Um, so... <laughs> well, 
one thing that we're learning uh, as we go through this series uh, called Whole, and as we look at the wisdom literature, is that life is messy at times. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Yes. Have you ever wondered, why doesn't God just take us to heaven when he saves us, right? Like, I got saved when I, for me when I was eight years old. Like, why, why don't I just take us home to heaven? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think we wonder that. I've wondered that myself. And the reason I bring that up is because we encounter uh, remnants of sin and the fall in everything in life. We saw that last week in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, that life is messy. And in everything that we do and everything that we see, we encounter the fall. We encounter sin. Okay? Uh, the scriptures teach us that no part of life and no part of creation has been left untouched by sin. And that includes things like human relationships, romance, sex, marriage, all of that. Which, yes, this book does talk about those things. Now, this morning, uh, we're not going to focus too much on sex. So, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, it, the book does deal with that. Um, I will leave that to other Bible teachers to go in depth on those things. We're just doing a big overview this morning. Praise the Lord. So, um, what we're going to see, though, is actually something far greater. How the Song of Songs speaks to us about the redemption of all things. And again, as part of the Bible's wisdom literature, how this book teaches you and me to live faithfully for God in this fallen world. Okay? And before we start, I want to also address uh, those in the room who might be single this morning. Um, sometimes, the way that this book gets taught, unfortunately, it's basically taught as if it were nothing more than a handbook for marriage. Or in some churches, this unfortunately has happened. It's taught a bit more crassly as if it's a sex manual. Okay? And unfortunately, that robs the book of so much of its beauty. Okay? And that also basically means that, well, I guess it's only for married people. right? But that's not the Song of Songs. This book has profound things to speak to all of us. Single, married, young, old, it doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Jesus... This book has a lot to say to you, and so we're going to look at that this morning. Okay, so if we could put that first slide up there, please. Thank you. All right. The Song of Songs. The noble king in the Song of Songs points us to the one who so loved his bride that not even death could keep him from her. And the setting of this book, which is a lush garden in the city of Zion, rejoicing at the wedding of its king, hints at the way that that day, that final day, we'll see the curse on the ground rolled back, and we will see the renewal of Eden in the presence of the Lord. Okay? So, the question, what is the Song of Songs? What is this book? Right? Is this a marriage handbook? Is this totally just a metaphor about God's love for his people, Christ and the church? What is this? Is it something else? Uh, I have read this book many times, uh, both when I was single and being married and young, old, in all seasons of my life, I've read this book. And a lot of times I just ask myself, what am I supposed to do with this book? I wonder if any of you have ever asked that question. Or uh, I think sometimes if we're honest, maybe we just sort of skip the book. It's just eight short chapters, only 117 verses, right? Should I even be reading this book? That's another question. 
Uh, I heard once that, uh, I don't know if this is still true, but at least back in the day, um, Orthodox Jewish men were not allowed to read this book until they were married and had reached the age of 30. So, yeah. So a lot of times people are like, should I be reading this? Right? What, what is going on here? Well, the answer is yes. You and I and all of us should be reading this book and enjoying it. Okay. So as we begin, I want to give you a little bit of background here just for a minute or two uh, to the book, its context, and some things about its interpretation. Okay. First of all, really quickly, some of your Bibles say Song of Songs. Some of your Bibles say Song of Solomon. Okay. I've gone with Song of Songs. Uh, because that's the name of the book in Hebrew. Okay. Now, the first verse, I'm going to read the first verse to you in Hebrew. Pastor Dustin used the word in Hebrew last week. I have to upstage him, so I'm going to do a whole verse in Hebrew. <laughs> it's, it's only five words in Hebrew. Here's what it is in case you ever wanted to hear Hebrew. Shir hashirim asher lishlomo. That's the first verse in the book. And it's, uh, Thank you, Kenny. I appreciate that. And it says, Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Okay? So, Solomon wrote this song, this love poem. And he says it's the greatest of all the songs that he wrote. And if you remember anything about Solomon, he was a very prolific writer. Proverbs, songs, poems, all these things. Okay? This is his greatest one, according to himself. Also, as we've seen, this book is part of the wisdom literature. So it teaches us how to live faithfully for God in this world. And it teaches us how to live faithfully in the areas of things like marriage, sexuality, romance. And it is meant to instruct us how to live out God's commands faithfully in those areas. And the book really takes Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, which speak of the one flesh union of the man and the woman in marriage, and it sort of expounds on that. Okay? It's beautiful. But it's not just that. As we're going to see this morning, this book also gives us a beautiful picture of the kind of love that God has for his people. His selfless, humble love that pursues us. Even when we run away. Even when we try and hide from him. Jesus said every part of the scriptures, the Bible, speaks of him. Okay? And the Song of Songs is not in your Bible by mistake. It does that as well. The Song of Songs speaks to you and me about the Lord Jesus. It reveals his love and even his gospel, the gospel of our salvation, in some really amazing ways. So we're going to look at all of that briefly, I promise, this morning. Okay. So with that said, I am going to read our verses several times. Several times. Those are not the verses. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, okay. I'm going to get to that in a second. That is part of the sermon. But uh, first, I want to read our verses. Again, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So the imagery here, first of all, the man and the woman, okay? That's the word of the bride. She wants her husband to set her as a seal upon his arm and upon his heart, right? Now, what this is doing is this is speaking of intimacy. 
She wants to be the first and only love of her husband. She doesn't want competition. She doesn't want him chasing other things or other people. She wants to be the first and only love of her husband. And the love that this bride has for her husband is as strong as death. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, uh, people viewed death as final and ultimate. There was nothing stronger than death. Because it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, it doesn't matter if you're a king or a noble, at the end of your life, we're all going to die. Right? That's how the ancients viewed death. This woman says, though, no, there is something as strong as death. Love. Love. Okay? And so, this book... This picture here offers you and me a wonderful picture of what that love in marriage is supposed to look like. That faithful, fierce love um, that, that husband and wife are to have for each other. And remember what Paul told the Ephesians in, in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, husbands, love your wives. Anyone remember how that ends? Yes, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We see the faithful, strong love of God that is supposed to characterize marriage. So it offers us this picture of what marriage and romance should look like. So I would encourage you all to read this book this week. We don't have time, obviously, to read the entire book this morning. But I would encourage you to read it. The book also shows you and me this language of set me as a seal on your arm and on your heart. This is language speaking of commitment. And this book, and indeed all of Scripture, shows you and me that commitment is the foundation for sex and marriage. It's the way that God has established things. Now, this is in contrast to the way our culture views sex, which I trust I don't need to explain how our culture portrays sex right now. Right? That it's purely a physical act. It doesn't mean anything. Right? The Song of Songs shows you and me that sexuality is a gift from God. And it's powerful. And it's strong. And that God has confined it to marriage for a reason. Now, I want to say something quickly uh, about the way that this book gets interpreted at times. You guys can throw that slide back up there, please. This is a little awkward, but I feel I need to address this. uh, Because you may have heard this, or you might hear this, or you might be tempted to read the book this way. Okay? Uh, so, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, verse, chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, the bride says, My beloved, speaking of her husband, is to me a sachet of myrrh, a little packet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Okay. Um, I heard an interpretation once claiming that in this passage, and this is weird, I'm just warning you, um, that the woman's right breast represents the Old Testament. And her left represents the New Testament, and in between them is the cross. Okay, that is not how to read the Song of Solomon, okay? I, I would be remiss if I didn't point that out this morning. Do not read the book this way, okay? When you read this book, don't just substitute Jesus for the man and yourself for the woman. That gets really weird, really, really quickly. That's not how to read the book, okay? The book does deal with sex and marriage, absolutely but that's not how to read it. What it should do is it should give us cause to reflect upon the love of God for us, okay? And it should cause those of us who are married in the room 
to seek to love our spouses with loyal, selfless, humble love, the same kind of love that Jesus has shown to us. And as I said, uh, the Song of Songs also gives to you and me God's viewpoint of what sex and marriage are supposed to look like. We live in a culture, as you know, where people are celebrating all sorts of expressions of sexuality and gender and these kinds of things that are unbiblical. And God has spoken clearly in his word um, that the only God-ordained expression of sexuality is within the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. That's what God has said in his word. And this book reminds us of that. And it helps us to keep our thinking straight in the midst of this culture in which we live right now. And I trust I don't need to get into that too deeply. You're all aware of that. But again, this book doesn't just speak to those of us who are married. It also speaks to every one of us in the room, married or single. It's a picture of the even greater love that God has for us. And it's meant to cause you and me to look forward to the day when Christ calls us home to his kingdom, to be with him. It also reminds us that marriage, as great as it is, is not the ultimate fulfillment of joy and happiness. Right? Marriage is a foretaste of our perfect union with God that is to come in the next life. Right? Marriage is amazing. I love being married But marriage is not the ultimate, final fulfillment of all of our hopes and dreams, right? Okay, so now we've looked at the book a little bit, how it deals with things on the physical level, with the love between this woman and her husband, and things like sexuality and romance and marriage. Now I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive and look at how this book points you and me to the love that God has for us. This is where things start to get, in my opinion, a little bit more exciting. This is really cool. All right? Now, again, love is as strong as death. As strong as death. Now, we see in Scripture that God's love for us in Christ is stronger than death. Amen? The gospel, God himself becomes human, dies for us, pays for our sins, and then what happens three days later? He rises from the dead. He rises from death. God's love is stronger and more permanent and more ultimate than death. Because as we know, death is not the end. Death is not permanent. For those of us, for those of you who trust in Christ, death is not the final word. Amen? Amen. All right. In 1 John... Chapter 3, verse 1, John writes this beautiful, beautiful passage. He says, see how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that's what we are. Think about this. The love that God the Father, the Holy One, has for you and me. That he, through Christ, has made us his children. Loved us with an everlasting love. And there's nothing in all creation, as Paul said in Romans 8, that could ever separate us from the love of God. This kind of love, this faithful, abiding love of God for his people will never end. If you're in Christ, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Amen. 
In a sense, God has set you and me as a seal on his heart. The book of Isaiah, using beautiful language, says that God has carved our names into his heart. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. Now, when the Song of Songs speaks about death, right, telling us that God's love is stronger than death, it also speaks to you and me of God's holiness. We just sang this. Doug just led us in that beautiful hymn, Holy, 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 right? Why is there death in the first place? Bible trivia. Sin. Yes, sin. Because of our sin. And this shows us that not only is God so loving, God is also fiercely holy and righteous, right? We just sang holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The curse of sin affects us all. God is faithful to his word. And when we sinned, death entered the world, right? So this speaks to us of both God's love and God's holiness, and this grace that God has given to you and me, the salvation he's given us through Christ, is something that is a free gift. We're reformed people in here. We say that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not something we can earn or work for. It's not something we can earn or work for. Song of Solomon, right? He says, if a man were to offer all of his wealth to buy love, his offer would be completely despised. No way. No way. You can't buy love. Right? Just on a human level. You can't make someone love you. You know? <laughs> Guys, have you ever tried, like, take her, buy coffee, flowers, right? You're like, man, I hope she really likes me. This will show her how much I care. And that's great. Right? But you can't make someone love you. You can't buy love. Even more, you and I cannot earn the love of God. We cannot earn the love of God. It's a free gift to us in Christ. So as we move on, back to how this book shows us the love of God. Traditionally, the Jewish people would read this book out loud every year at Passover. Now, do you remember what Passover is? When God was getting ready to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt and he was going to punish the Egyptians... And so God told all the Israelites, kill a lamb, paint its blood on your doorposts, and the angel of death will pass over you, right? And you won't be harmed. And then shortly thereafter, Pharaoh kicks them out finally, and they go, they leave through the Red Sea, and God miraculously delivers his people from slavery. That's what the Jews celebrate at Passover. And when they celebrate that, they read the Song of Songs out loud. It seems a little interesting. It seems a little unrelated, right? Why would they do that? Because the Song of Songs in its eight short chapters contains the entire story of salvation. And we're going to see that. Now, for you and me who are Christians, the New Testament authors use the Exodus as the primary picture of salvation to show us what God has done for us in Christ, leading us out of our slavery to sin and bringing us into his presence. So when we read the Song of Songs, we should see and feel our redemption, our salvation. Okay? Again, Jesus pursues you and me every single day. He is always faithful. Okay? So as we begin to wrap up here, 
I want to look at a couple more things. How does the Song of Songs fit into the big biblical story? Okay? Why should you and I read this book? It's got great things about marriage and sex and romance. Sure, all of that, right? But great. But why not just skip the book? Okay? I want to deal with that here as we begin to close. The Song of Songs, it begins and it ends with, listen to this, a man and a woman together in a garden enjoying each other's love without shame and without fear. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Where do we see that? Garden of Eden. Yeah, Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2. Right? That's how the book both begins and it ends. Okay? Even more than that, the Song of Songs in its eight short chapters, plays out the entire biblical story. It's incredible. Again, the book begins with a man and woman, together, intimate, in a garden. And then, because of sin, in the Song of Songs, we see there's a rift, a separation between the man and the woman. There's separation, death, sin. But then what happens? The man goes and pursues the woman and brings her back to himself. He expresses his love to her, they reconcile, and they are united once again. And then the book ends with the man and the woman in a garden. Okay? All through the Old Testament, God pursued his people Israel. If you read the Old Testament, Genesis 1 and 2, they're doing great, everything's awesome, right? Genesis 3, the fall. Sin enters the world. There's separation between Adam and Eve and between man and creation and man and God. And then for the rest of the Old Testament, God pursues his people. They reject him. He pursues them. They reject him. And on and on and on the story goes. We're seeing that each week in this series. Till finally, in the New Testament, God himself comes. And he wins his people back to himself. Creates for himself a people. Jew and Gentile, the church. It's amazing. And then how does the Bible end? In Revelation, the Bible ends with the people of God portrayed as a garden city coming down from heaven, the new Jerusalem, dwelling with God for all eternity. The Bible begins and ends with God's people dwelling with him in a garden in perfection. The same exact storyline as the Song of Songs. Now, if you're anything like me, that is a compelling way to read this book and to understand this book, that this is the story. The Song of Songs is the story of our salvation. It's the story of what God has done for you and me in Christ. That's compelling. That, to me, is amazing. And that makes me want to read this book and really study it. And really study it. So, like every great story... The Song of Songs captures our interest, and it also leaves us anticipating uh, more. We, like, come on, I want to know more. What's happening? What's going on? That's what this book does for us. At the end of Song of Songs, we see restoration, but it's only a sneak peek of what God will do for us at the end of time when he returns and brings us to himself, and we spend eternity with him in the New Jerusalem. How amazing will that be? How amazing will that be? Okay. So, as we close, where does that leave you and me this morning? 
There's a couple different groups of people I want to speak to in the congregation and on the live stream this morning as we close. First of all, if you're married in the room, as we saw, this book provides an example of God's good gift of marriage, as well as his desire and his order for what marriage is supposed to look like, and sexuality and all of those things. Okay? It celebrates God's gift of sex and marriage to humanity. Okay? The physical is not bad. Right? We see that all throughout the Song of Songs. God's physical creation is good. Okay? It's not bad. All right? So if you're married, rejoice. Love each other with that self-sacrificial, Christ-like love. If you're single in the room this morning, again, this book also speaks to you. This book reminds you that your Lord pursues you passionately and jealously. And this book reminds you, and all of us too, everyone who's married, we need to be reminded that marriage is not, again, the highest joy, the final goal. Our union with God in eternity is where we're headed. That's the final goal. And marriage is just sort of a foretaste of that. For those of us in the room this morning and on the live stream who are followers of Jesus, rejoice. We are children of God through faith in the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus. He has redeemed us. Our groom has called us as his bride to himself. And he loves us with a love that will never end. And someday he will return to make all things right and we will dwell with him forever in the new creation. And finally, uh, for anyone who may be in the room or on the live stream or who's listening to this maybe at a different time, uh, if anyone in here has not yet come into relationship with God through Jesus, I just want to speak to you for a moment. This love that we've been talking about this morning is, is the love that God has for you. It's a love that's so fierce and so strong that it motivated, it caused God himself to become human and to sacrifice his life in order to save you and to bring you back to himself. So the flame of God's love, as we read in this passage, burns brightly for you. However, I would be unfaithful to scripture and I would be remiss uh, as a teacher this morning if I also didn't tell you that if you are not a child of God through Christ, the wrath of God also burns brightly against you. And that's in the scriptures. God is holy, again, as we sang, and all of us, every one of us are sinners. Every one of us without exception. That's why Jesus came and died for you and for me, for all of us. And again, the flame of God's love burns brightly. But for those who would choose to reject him and to say, nope, I'm fine, well, the flame of God's holiness and wrath will burn brightly against you on the day that you stand before him. John the Baptist said these, these famous words. He said, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Okay? So the invitation, if you don't know Jesus, is to come to Jesus today. Repent of your sin and embrace the gospel. And embrace the gospel. Be reconciled to God through Christ. We see that 
in the Song of Songs as well. What a profound book. What a profound, profound book. Eight short chapters. It's 117 verses. I read through the whole thing last week in one sitting. It took me like 12 minutes. Very quick. Very simple. But all of this, and there's so much more. I didn't want to preach for two hours. So, uh, you're welcome. There's so much more, though, in this book that could be said. I had to chop a lot out of this, out of this message, and I'm still gone for over 30 minutes. So, uh, I want to close with the words of a man named Leander of Seville. He was a 6th century Latin theologian. And I'll close with this, and then we'll pray. And Leander wrote this. He is indeed your true bridegroom. He's also your brother. He is likewise your friend. He is your inheritance. He is your reward. He is God and the Lord. You have in him, in Jesus, a bridegroom to love. For he is fair in beauty above the sons of men. He is a friend of whom you need not doubt, for he himself says, you are my only beloved. You have in him the inheritance that you may embrace, for he himself is the portion of your inheritance. You have in him the reward that you may recognize, for his blood is your redemption. And you have in him God, by whom you may be ruled, the Lord to fear and honor. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, uh, God, for your love for us in Christ, given to us through the gospel. And Father, we thank you, God, that this short little book of ancient love poetry reveals all of this to us. So Father, we pray that your spirit would take what we've studied, drive it home into our hearts this morning, and that you would bless my brothers and sisters, my friends here this morning, God. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.